T.D. Worthington, pastor of the Pathway Baptist Church in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and this is Pathlight, and we're so glad to have you tuned in to today's broadcast. Thank you for being a part of our Pathlight family today. A message of the Easter flavor, if you will, as we celebrate Easter this week, and it's entitled, Death Can Wait. Death Can Wait. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. So if you'd like to find your places, if you're able to do so, that is the uh, the scripture that we'll be taking a look at in just, uh, in just a little bit today. Death can wait. i got just a moment to, to share with you, though, about Christian Bible College. If you're interested in beginning or continuing your college-level theological training, uh, perhaps we can help. Check out the website, christianbiblecollege.org, and whether you're interested in a general diploma, a bachelor's, master's, right on up to a Ph.D. level, and there's several disciplines you can have there in theology, whether it's Christian education, Christian counseling, whatever it may be, I believe we can probably help you with that. Again, that's christianbiblecollege.org. O-R-G. And then if you'd like more information, of course, you can call and we'll be glad to give you more information on the program. Now, this is a correspondence program, so you'll be, we'll be studying at home at your own pace. And uh, anyway, a, a lot of people, literally hundreds of people over the years. We've been doing this since 1980, and so quite a track record we have now, well over 40 years. So anyway, we can help you. We'd like to do so. ChristianBibleCollege.org. Again, the message today is entitled Death Can Wait, but just before today's message, I've got a musical selection coming coming your way. Hope you'll stay tuned for uh, for the message which follows this particular song. There are hills in my pathway that I must climb. There's a willingness out in front of me that I must go through. There's a river I must cross just before I get home. But I won't have to cross it alone. Jesus will meet me at the bank of He'll take me to the other side The water may be troubled The wind may blow strong But I won't have to cross it alone Now this road I travel it's called the straight and narrow And I'll take each step in Jesus' name When I come down to the river Just the side of that sweet forever I won't have to cross it alone This is why Jesus will meet me at the bank of the river 
She was a lady with a lot of difficulty, a lot of trouble that she was going through at that time. But yet she said to me, she said, Pastor, I think that I have more hope now than I've ever had. Now, if there was ever an example of someone who had reason, humanly speaking, to not have any hope, it was her. Strange words, in a way. The lady was filled with hope, for not, but not for the reasons that one might expect. She wasn't filled with hope because she had a great marriage, because she had recently lost her marriage. She wasn't filled with hope because of her children. She feared, honestly, losing them as well. She wasn't filled with hope because she had a great home that was lost also. She wasn't filled with hope because she was surrounded by a great circle of friends because of lies that had been told about her. Many of those friends had forsaken her likewise. At the end of years of deceit and vengeance and, and, uh, and improper behavior, her husband was robbing her of all those things. And yet she tells me, I don't think that I've ever had more hope than I have right now. I would propose to you during this message that that is the kind of hope, a hope that is so sturdy, so deep, so vibrant that it could face such a loss and still live. That hope 
is only ever found in one place, and that is at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 is probably the New Testament's longest and most detailed narrative on the resurrection of our Lord. If you want to study the resurrection of the Lord, looking at it doctrinally, that would be one of the great places to go. Paul is arguing against those in Corinth who said there was no such thing as a resurrection. Therefore, there's no way Christ could possibly have risen from the dead because such a thing didn't even exist. And so in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul does two things. First, he says, what if Christ is not raised? And he begins to deal with that, follow it out logically. What would it mean for our faith? What would it mean for the world? But then he turned the argument totally around to the other side and say, okay, then what if Christ is raised? Like an A and B side. What if he's not? Okay, let's, let's, let's look at that. Okay, on the other side, let's look at what if he is raised. Notice what he says in verses 14 through 19 of that chapter. He states that if Christ is not raised, then there is a domino effect. There's a cascading set of implications that flow out of that. Paul says, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. Your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, it's empty, and you yet in your sins. Then they which also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men most miserable. He's acknowledging if our hope is in Christ who is still in the tomb, then we are all miserable and we are to be pitied. I'd like to take a moment and unpack what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that all of the past, present, and future hopes of Christianity, all of the plan of God, all of the principles, all of the commands, all of the teachings balance on this one point, and that is the bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ occurring just as the Scripture said. If Christ is not raised, if the actual historical event did not happen, as the Scripture says, then everything else comes crashing down like a house of cards. Because if Christ isn't raised... What an empty message we have because there's no defeat of sin. There's no victory over death. There's no hope that all the evil things we face, all the struggles, all the difficulties, all the disease, all the suffering and death will end. We're trusting that it will. But if Christ is not raised, then it will not. And there's no hope. People today are putting their hope in government or other institutions, but there is no hope if Christ be not raised. And then Paul says something very powerful there in verse 19. He says, if in this life, he's referring to this human life, in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. He says, your faith must be connected to eternity. He's, he's relating to this life. He says, in this life we're living right now. 
If you have no hope in the resurrection, if you have no hope to eternity, then you are to be pitied. Your faith must be connected, must be anchored to something eternal. You see, faith that goes no further than the grave makes no sense. What, what real good is it? You, you can't have everlasting life if it dies at the grave. You can't have eternal life if it dies at the grave. So if your faith is only going to take you to be covered up in dirt, then what real good is it? You can't live in this world where terrible things happen. You can't be serious about your own struggles. You can't live with the moments where you're sinned against and you face injustice and you face a lack of mercy and you face pain and suffering and disease and not deep in your heart cry out, when is all this going to stop? And then in faith, you trust it's going to stop somewhere in eternity. But you see, if your faith is not linked to eternity, then you don't have that. You can't be honest, not as honest as the Bible is honest, and not cry out for an end to all that sin has brought into the world. Just this past week, we read of school shootings. We read of all kinds of things going on. When is this going to end? It's not getting better, that's for sure. But you see, it's not enough to have a few principles to live by. It's not enough to have good theology. We long, we cry for eternity to make things right. When is things going to be set in order? And that person that weeps at the loss of a loved one, that person may not know it, but they weep for eternity. That person who has sinned again and again and is so discouraged because they've given way again to, to sin, to their own personal, perhaps, addiction, and they know they're guilty. But that guilt is a cry for eternity, for a release from the bondage. And then we have the person that's been sinned against, perhaps again and again and again, and is so hurt inside. That hurt is a cry for eternity. That hurt is a cry for things to be set right. The poor dear lady that's in pain constantly because of her infirmity, her cries are a cry for eternity. When will I be delivered? That broken marriage and that person that's facing that divorce and the pain in their heart, that pain is a cry for eternity. When are things going to be set right? Racism is a cry for eternity. Corruption of government is a cry for eternity. School shootings are a cry for eternity. Disease is a cry for eternity to finally set things right. When will things finally be set in order? So what Paul does here is he makes a direct connection, a direct line of connection, connectivity between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope of eternity. In verse 20 of this chapter, he says, Christ is the first fruit. So that's a harvest term, isn't it? Jesus is the first fruit. And if Jesus was raised, then sin has been defeated. Death has been conquered. There is hope that all of us who believe in Jesus will be raised out of this broken world to a world where there is no suffering, no sin, no disease, no sorrow, and no death. A world where things will finally make sense. Because just like you, I hear the news today and it doesn't make any sense. 
Why do people treat each other this way? Why? Why are we going through this in our country? Why do people behave or misbehave the way they do? What, what is the motivation behind this? It's a cry for eternity. I long for things to make sense. Eternity will finally make sense of it all. And that's because of the resurrection of our Lord. So what I'm saying today is there is a direct connectivity between the resurrection and your future hope. Listen, if you're satisfied with this world the way it is, then, then I dare say, and I say this, uh, honestly, I say this without trying to be disrespectful, but if you think everything's okay in the world right now, you're satisfied with the way things are, then there's something wrong with your thinking. Because things are not right. And any logical, I don't care if you're a Christian or not, if you're a rational person, you know there's things bad wrong in this world. It's right to be dissatisfied. And here again, I, I don't care if you're a Christian or not. You can be a Christian or an atheist. But if you're, if you're satisfied with the way things are going on in this world right now, all the lies, all the deceit, all the pain, all the hurt, all the hatred, all the division, if, you, if you're satisfied with that, then there's something wrong with your thinking. It's right to be dissatisfied with what's going on in the world. And if you're dissatisfied with what's going on in the world, whether you realize it or not, and whether you care to admit it or not, that is a cry out for eternity. Paul then turns the argument around the other way. I want you to look at verses 20 through 28 if you're able to look at your Bibles. After talking about Christ being the first fruit, then he gives this sort of redemptive historical equation. He says, For since by man came death, he's referring to Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. There he's referring to the second Adam of Christ. And then notice what he does in verse 24. Let me read this to you. He says, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put down all enemies under his feet. And then verse 26 says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. The title of the message today was Death Can Wait. Now, I want you to notice what Paul is saying here. Not only is there a connectivity between the resurrection and eternity, connectivity between the resurrection and your future hope. But there's also a connectivity between the resurrection and your present day rest and security. It is connected. It is connected. Not only does the resurrection connect us with the future, with eternity, with our future hope, but it also gives us hope today. That's why those who trust in Christ Jesus, believing in his resurrection, believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, have hope today because there's a connection established. Here's what he says. He says, Jesus, the risen Christ Jesus, is reigning right now. This is what Paul is saying. And he will continue his reign until the last enemy is under his feet. He's in the process right now of conquering those enemies, collecting the spoils of the victory that he won at the cross and the grave. And when the final enemy is defeated, and that's death, he will offer up the kingdom to his father. Now here's what that means to you and I. You do not live in a world of chaotic luck. 
and fate and chance. Good things don't happen to you because you're lucky. You live in a world that's under someone's rule. You say, well, yeah, I know who that is. That, that, that's the devil. The devil's the God of this world. And indeed, you're right. But remember this, my Christian friend. You are not of this world. So you are not under his authority. You may be living on a planet that he is the God, little g, of right now. But you're not a part of that world. Your citizenship is not in that world. Your world, my Christian friend, is ruled by the risen Lord. You will never enter a situation. You will never enter a location. You will never enter a relationship. You will never be anywhere that isn't ruled by the risen Lord because you are his child. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are a child of God. You cannot get away from his presence. You are under his lordship. Everything you are, everything you have, every place you go, you're under the rulership of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I know what some of you are probably thinking right now. Well, it sure doesn't feel like my life is ruled by the Lord. It feels like the devil's got a hold of me with, with both hands sometimes. Or it feels like this old world is pushing me around everywhere I go. Always oh, hit this brick wall. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like my life is ruled by the Lord. Well, it is. I, I want to give you a bit of principle here. Recognizing the rule of the risen King Jesus will not make all of your circumstances understandable to you. It's not going to just clear things up. It's not going to make all the fog go away. You need to recognize the rule of the risen King Jesus precisely because your circumstances are not going to make any sense to you much of the time. And in your inability to grasp why a loving, caring, compassionate, redemptive God would bring a certain thing into your life. It's very tempting sometimes to think that your life must not be under the rule of anything. Certainly, much less God. And give yourself away to doubt and despair. But I'm here to remind you today, your life is under the reign and rule of the one who has conquered it all. He is the definition of everything that is loving and good and true and wise and faithful. And thus he shall be to you. And no, I will never have control over every situation and relationship in my life. I will not on this earth. I can assure you of that, but my Savior does. No, I might not always be in control, but he is. My King does. The risen Christ, who is my hope, has authority. The physical, bodily, historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is directly connected to your future hope and mind. But it is also directly connected to your present day security and rest. You can have rest now. You can have hope now. Because the stone in front of that tomb could not hold him. The Roman seal could not hold him. The doubt of the disciples could not hold him. The Roman guards could not hold him. And Satan himself could not hold him. 
Direct connectivity between the resurrection of Jesus and our future hope. Direct connectivity between the resurrection of Jesus and our present day rest and security. That's what I'm talking about. This is hope that can stand. It can stand up in the middle of the deepest difficulties of life. In the deepest valleys of life. This is hope that won't fade in the face of disappointment and discouragement. It's hope that doesn't die in the face of pain and loss. And it's only found at the empty tomb of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because there we find our future hope. There we find our present rest. He is our future. He is our King. He has risen from the grave. And his name is Jesus Christ. Right now, Jesus Christ is defeating one enemy after another right now. You say, well, he defeated everything on the cross. I'm talking about in your life and mine right now. We've got many enemies right now that tried to destroy us. Jesus told Peter one day, so the devil wants to sift you like wheat. He's got your number. He wants to destroy you. And, and your life and my life right now, there are enemies, many enemies that want to destroy our testimony, want to destroy our faith, want to hurt us in any way, hinder us in any way they can, destroy our families. And Jesus is active right now, defeating one enemy after another in your life and in mine. And he is empowering you and I to defeat every enemy that comes against us. But, but. He is saving the enemy of death for last. That's what the scripture said. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Why is he saving that for last? Why? Because that's one enemy, my dear Christian friend, that poses no real threat for you. It has no sting. The grave has no victory. Death has no authority over you and I as a child of God. Now, now, we want Jesus to destroy that enemy right now. I understand that. But in his wisdom, he knows you and I have bigger enemies than death. Bigger enemies than death to overcome. And that's why death can wait. Because it can't harm us. Oh, it can buzz around our head, but it can't sting us anymore. It can scare us sometimes can make us fret but it has no sting the grave has no victory the last enemy why does he destroy it last because it has no power over you you have bigger enemies bigger fish to the fry so to speak Jesus is taking care of those well again we want to wish you a very very happy and joyous Easter season if our programs are a blessing to you, we would certainly enjoy hearing from you. We really appreciate those that tune in every single week. And whether you listen on radio or the Pathlight podcast, you can enter in Pathlight podcast on your uh, on your phone or your computer or whatever. You can call that up on several podcasting sites, the Pathlight podcast. You can find this on the Facebook site if you want to listen to it later, Go Mix Radio, Christian Bible College. Pathway Christian Academy and several other Facebook sites, you will find it on. Well, until next time, this is T.D. Worthington saying I hope you have a wonderful week as you walk with the Lord. God bless you as you serve our Lord.